welcome to the rap chats um i'm phil samba my pronouns are he him and i'll be your host i work for the love tank a non-profit organization promoting the health and well-being of typically underserved communities and i'm the project coordinator of the rap lessons of queer resistance and resilience from pandemics so this is a project between the love tank and the university of edinburgh asking about the strategies of care and resilience queer communities were employing to resist go ongoing emerging and exacerbated health inequalities with a particular focus on resilience during pandemics. The Rap Chats are a short series of podcasts where I'm going to be interviewing people from queer projects and organizations that are involved in the rap. So this week I'll be joined by our guest Toddy Peters. Toddy is part of the leadership team and is the director of Open Barbers. Um, she has been extremely pivotal to keeping the organization going during very trying times of the COVID pandemic, and her pronouns are she, her. So uh, welcome, and um, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? Hi, Phil. Thanks for such a lovely introduction. I'm feeling great today. Thank you so much. Good. Me too. So um, first of all, like uh, for, I guess, people that are listening in that don't know, uh, what is Open Bubbles? Open Barbers is a a community interest company. Um, We are primarily a hairdressing salon, Um, originally or mainly a barbering salon, but we also do offer all sorts of hairdressing services, including some color services. And we serve a a purpose where we, we basically offer all services on sliding scales. Um, on the basis of paying as much as you can afford. Um, We give people the haircut that they want rather than what various hairdressers think they should have. Um, And we aim to be affordable and welcoming to anybody of any gender or sexuality or or denomination. Um, Just just welcoming everyone, basically. That is incredible. Why and when was Open Barbers founded? Uh, Open Barbers itself appeared initially as a series of pop-ups back in 2011. Out of need, the original founder, Gregory, um, and his um, business partner at the time, uh, Clara Vanova, they, I can't remember the exact details of how they met, but they they both found... um, situation where where Gregory specifically as a trans person couldn't necessarily just go into a barber's and get the haircut that he wanted in case he was perceived not perceived as male or just rejected or if he went into a a hairdresser's or a unisex he was given something that didn't actually work with the the way he wanted to be present to present himself and be viewed and so he learned to cut hair himself and then he found this is kind of an ongoing issue within the trans community um, and so open barbers was was started um in that way and then it sort of grew from 2011 going from pop-ups and things like that in in various sort of back rooms of of other organizations ended up in a the another hairdressers in finsbury park just using a small space um and eventually after another couple of changes we ended up in our own um space in hoxton where you know we have all our own stylists um we mm-hmm. now have a staff of about 10 people um and encompassing all um 
ages and races and sexualities. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Like, um, it's incredibly diverse. But um, Open Barbers in particular, uh, amongst um, the other projects, is like, it's rooted in queer resistance from the jump. Like, the foundation, the very foundation of why it exists is from queer res resistance. It's like, if if they're not going to give me the haircut that I want, then I'm going to find, figure out my own way of how I can get it myself. And I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It is about resistance. And it's about resistance of capitalism as well, because we also work on a non-capitalist um, payment model, um, because we also felt that, you know, people shouldn't have to, because there are certain places where you can go, which are other queer places where you can sort of, get a more client-led haircut but then you have to pay for the privilege and it's quite a well-known thing that people in the queer community are not necessarily as um wealthy as you know the cisgendered people and so it, it was it was a deliberate attempt to resist the way that the society is going so resist the the, the, the tendency to force a specific look on people and resist this situation of a business needing to be hugely wealthy and and making a lot of profit. Mm -hmm. I, I like that. Um, again, we're going back to queer resistance. That even the way that the the, the I guess the the business operates in the, the 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 with the sliding scale, that in itself is queer resistance because it goes against the the typical like the typical way of like a business. So I'm just seeing all these different layers of queer resistance as we go on. Thank you, definitely, yes. So um, I guess uh, you said you were, were or you are based in um, Hoxton. Has um, Open Barbers always been in London? Yeah, we've always been in London. The, the staff have always lived in London, and so we've always been in London. We, we started off, as I say, in pop-ups, which were based around London. And then there were, we have done pop-ups in the past that have been... Um, at universities and things that was like in the dim distant past I wasn't involved back then mm -hmm. um, and I do believe we've done a few things in Brighton and so on but the specifically our salon is based in London um, and we've gone from as I say Finchbury Park we went down to Kennington and now we're based in Hoxton but yeah always London. Um, can you tell me a bit about um, like the additional services that are available at Open Barbers? So we also have um, uh, a colorist who does not cut hair um, and they only work two and sort of two and a half days a week, two days a week and then um, occasional Sundays basically and that that may be changing in the future but yeah they're, they're only part-time and then we also have a, we have a back a, when we built the the salon that we have now um, which we moved into in 2015 I believe we basically gutted the building and recreated what we wanted. And Gregory's prime aim was that the space should be completely accessible in all ways. Um, and that it would provide also a space for external therapists to come in and, and provide services to the queer community in a place, or again, where they can rent the room on a sliding scale um, as long as they provide services on a sliding scale that's sort of in within the ethos of open barber or open barbers and so our back room we have as far as I'm aware generally people that use at the moment because of the pandemic some people haven't come back but before the pandemic we had three 
talking therapists of various different directions that they work in, mm-hmm. um, three different disciplines. And then we also have a massage therapist. Um, we've had various other alternative services being offered through that. At one point we had an acupuncturist. Um, we had another massage therapist. We just started having um, two days of a pop-up of a craniosacral therapist. And hopefully Ooh. that might be something we continue. So, um, but actually our back room is now pretty booked up. We've got people using it various times. So, and we're now sort of starting to see clients coming back in even for the talking therapies. Um, so those, those are the other services that, that we have on board. We do also have an Afro hair specialist who has worked with us in the past, but for various reasons, they have not been working with us for a little while and not hundred percent sure of when they might be back. But, but that's another thing that we are quite keen to, to keep going, that, that we have services that, that work for all sorts of people. Mm-hmm. And um, I, um, I knew a little bit about um, services, but I, I didn't know that the, they would hire the services on a sliding scale and that also that um, the, the clients would then pay for the services on a sliding scale, which is also really cool. <laughs> yeah, we, we just want that that ethos of ours to be remain affordable to be like all encompassing and so i mean for some of our backroom users they do also offer standardized rates when they work elsewhere but when they come to open barbers it's important to us that um they offer at the very least affordable rates Mm -hmm. um if it's like isn't necessarily possible but some sort of um uh supported rate in some way so yeah but as far as i'm aware everybody that uses the backroom does use some form of sliding scale i, I could be wrong but that's as far as i'm aware so uh we, I mean, we've, we've touched upon queer resistance here and there but um okay. i'd like to ask you a little bit about um covid so like uh what issues did you face during like the height of covid i mean at the absolute height of covid we closed mm-hmm. we didn't have an option but to close um, I was furloughed and all of our freelancers, of course, were because they're freelancers, they weren't eligible for furlough. Um, but mm. what we did do is we, um, everyone was encouraged to apply for whatever government support they could get. But unfortunately, there was a situation where there were some people who were not eligible for any government support. And so we used our savings basically to support some of our stylists with sort of, uh, I just can't think of the phrase, but but with payments that we, financial aid payments that we gave our stylists to enable them to continue to live because they weren't getting paid anything w- when we were closed, basically. So, so that, that sounds was, tough. That was tough. And we did apply for quite a few grants and we did receive some grants from various organisations, which basically enabled us to be able to do that. Um, but to be honest, if we hadn't, we still would have ca- carried on paying as much as we could to the people um because you know it was very important to us that they still be around when we reopened so we could continue um our work but also because you know open barbers is kind of a family and if we don't look after our family then you know what are we i'm I'm happy that you know you survived the pandemic i know there were were a lot of queer um, organizations that that, they weren't able to make it Mm. Yeah, where yeah, we we do feel very blessed that we were able to just keep going. However, and it's it's been tough coming back. Um, you know, it's it's it, even reopening has had its own set of challenges. Definitely. Can you tell me about this? 
Yeah, sure. So, I mean, when we reopened, we reopened with a lot of restrictions, sort of the sort of PPE, health and safety type restrictions. We slowed down our services. Everyone was wearing masks. We were using cleaning down each station in between clients, which adds time, time that we can't use for um, appointments, which means we're reducing our number of appointments down. We were keeping a minimum of people in the salon at any one time so where before the pandemic we'd actually opened a fifth chair so we had we had the capacity to have five stylists working at any one time because we just were that busy when we came back and reopened after the pandemic we were not having more than two stylists in at a time and we completely and we still we still don't have our um social space um mm. not that that's necessarily a you know a monetary thing but it it's changed the vibe of the salon it's where we used to encourage people to come and hang out and you know use us as a you know a remote working cafe kind of situation we now can't encourage that we we ask people to come as on time for their appointment as possible not early and not late and then have their appointment and then leave and we never used to have that sort of strictness so that also meant though that because we were limiting the number of stylists, we were limiting the number of appointments, we were limiting our income, we were also creating this terrible sort of Glastonbury type booking rage. So people, yeah. our, our appointments would open and then we'd actually, I personally would spend a good hour and a half dealing with people saying, I tried to book in and I can get, get an appointment and what's going on. And, you know, we're having to explain to people that, you know unfortunately appointments go live and then they just get booked apart at the height mm. of reopening i would see every appointment that we opened for the whole week in advance filling up in four minutes wow <laughs> and watch that happen and thankfully it has calmed down a lot now but depending on whether stylists are on holiday or which day i'm opening or whatever i you know it can still be a bit fraught people emailing in going you know when are the appointments opening why can't i get an appointment and now that we have changed our system slightly and we open new appointments every day but they're for two weeks in advance people still are thinking oh i should be able to get an appointment next week and they can't understand yeah. why you know everything's full um especially if they're not used to open barbers so they're used to a more traditional hairdressing salon where you can walk in and say i i'm free on thursday at four o'clock can i have an appointment then and it sort of doesn't work like that so yeah that that was challenging because by and large people are quite kind and understanding but there was also a lot of frustration yeah. and tenseness about you know i can't get an appointment and there's a lot of pressure to be able to offer as many services as possible but there's also a lot of pressure from another direction to maintain as safe an environment in terms of covid as possible so yeah. you know, those those two pressures are quite quite combustible together see as, as as you were talking i was just thinking like how challenging that must be to a obviously keep the the business afloat and keep things sort of relatively the same or how they were before the pandemic but at the same time you still want to keep you know um the clients and staff members like safe and protected yeah. but then that then in turn has an effect on the environment of what the space was previously but 
it's like there's i guess give and take with with bits and pieces like some of the stuff can remain the same but some things kind of have to change as a way to adapt and essentially be resilient yeah yeah exactly there's there's a lot of things to consider and it's you know it's very difficult to figure out what the priorities are and how to how to basically you can't please everyone mm. um, but you have to be able to try and consider everyone at the very least or at least demonstrate that you have considered everyone and this is why you've made the decisions you've made and we have always tried very hard to make sure that we are always accountable and we always explain the reasoning behind our decisions mm-hmm. um, and we always want the I mean transparency is like a big thing so we always make it very clear when we change something this is why and it's not just because we're money grabbing and trying to earn lots of money it's because we're trying to keep everyone safe and everyone happy and ultimately I think Gregory and I do bear you know carry a lot of it because we would rather make sure everyone else is safe and happy and then we carry it because that's that's our role that's our passion that's you know our driving force is to to keep open barbers a safe place and a happy place and you know fulfilling people's needs so another issue that we faced was a lot of people were finding that their hair was beginning to give them quite severe dysphoria um during the pandemic as people were beginning to see hairstyles on themselves that didn't match their perception of themselves and although we couldn't actually go out and give people haircuts and we got a lot of people saying I know you're closed but can you come and do a home haircut we were like no because pandemic restrictions and we can't um but there are a couple of ways we got around it so we were lending out equipment and Gregory and Felix were actually cycling to places and lending people salon equipment um and Gregory did a whole range of videos on YouTube that were Mm -hmm. free that were um how to cut your own hair or how to have a partner cut your hair and that there was a lot of work going into those I mean he did haircuts on himself and members of his household and then filmed them and my daughter did some editing and some subtitling and you know we got them together and got them onto YouTube and that took hours of work and other things that we did was we also did zoom haircuts so someone's partner would go on zoom and Gregory or Felix or Nell um, I think did a couple were talking them through cutting the hair and these were things we basically did them you know everything we did we did for free few people did try to pay a donation and that was helpful but you know we, we basically never really stopped during lockdown these were all things we kept doing just to try to help people when we couldn't actually help them um, and we were really lucky because one of our clients actually set up a crowdfunder for us and so a lot of that money that came in helped us to be able to do these sorts of um, activities and help people and also obviously as I said before pay the stylists to, to, to keep the muffler rather than not pay them but give them some financial aid to keep them going. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very sweet like to um, you know to kind of be delivering and I guess learning out equipment in order to help people because essentially that's that's kind of what people needed at the time. I think um, there may have been a point in the, especially in the early pandemic where the government was just basically like just self-isolate and that's it. 
whereas not like anticipating any other issues that, that other people may have or queer people in particular may have. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's really nice that um, you were able to support people in that way. Thank you. Did you have any issues of, um, I guess, like staff members getting sick or having to isolate or anything like that? I mean, yeah, when we, when we first came back, um, one of the restrictions we placed for kind of for our needs was that we only ever opened one week of appointments in advance. But the reason for this was if one of our staff members got COVID, we would then have not too much work to do to sort of cancel clients or move around clients or reschedule clients. So we were only taking a week in advance and therefore, because obviously people would be isolating if they were, if they became, if they, became covid positive they'd be having to self-isolate for a minimum of 10 days um, mm-hmm. but then they'd still be unwell for a bit longer and if they had like six weeks of appointments going on filling up there'd be more and more people to firstly disappoint and turn down but secondly try and reshuffle some of the stylists were like gregory for example was keeping his salon hours down so that he could jump in and pick up extra shifts to help cover if people called in sick um with covid and we were we were still paying although freelancers don't normally get paid for sick leave we were Mm -hmm. actually paying people if they needed to isolate for covid so that they could continue because we just didn't feel it was fair if the government is mandating you must not work when you have covid and you're not choosing or you are choosing to not come in you're choosing to not hide it from us then you shouldn't be penalized for the fact you now can't work so we did we, and we did have a lot of situations where either our colorist or one of our stylists would find that they've tested positive or they've been pinged by the app and so they have to isolate and you know we'd have quite a lot of admin work to do and a lot of people to shuffle and not everybody's necessarily happy to be seen by a different stylist or happy to mm-hmm. be put off for another two weeks or whatever so you know it it was frustrating and it was lost revenue and it was just very complex to juggle but you know we we found a way we got through it i'm happy you did um i i can kind of relate to not wanting other people to do my hair so i i get that but also like it kind of goes back to what I, I said earlier about the government just thinking oh just isolate and then that's the end yeah. of everything so yeah exactly um, and, and also the other situation, looking at it from the flip side, is we also, and still, in fact, get clients calling up on the morning of their appointment and saying, I've tested positive or I have COVID type symptoms, so I can't come in. And now our business model relies on every client, every space being filled, mm-hmm. because basically what our model is, other than diff- other salons, is that our stylists are paid in fact, everyone in the organization is paid the same amount per hour, regardless of whether there's a stylist there or not. So the directors and the full-time stylists and the part-time stylists all get the same amount of money per hour. And mm-hmm. if the client doesn't turn up or if the client cancels at short notice, what the first thing we do if they cancel at short notice is we advertise that slot. And if we're lucky, someone books in. And so we still have some revenue. But if that 
slot remains empty or if someone literally doesn't turn up for their appointment and doesn't tell us we don't know they're not going to be there so we don't get any income from that appointment but we still pay the stylist for that appointment mm-hmm. and so this was another issue that you know if people were just cancelling because they had covid we can't very well say you know well you know it's not 24 hours notice you can't cancel we would still ask them if they would be able to make a donation but realistically a lot of people can't make a donation mm. if they're cancelling for covid reasons and so it was just lost revenue because we'd still pay the, the stylist um but we never saw any income to cover that payment so yeah that that was another covid issue that was quite real and and sort of slightly is do you have like uh would you say the I guess the way Open Barbers operates now has changed as a result of COVID. Are there like any other ways that have like been kind of monumental to the way of being? I would say probably the biggest change is that loss of this hangout space um, and that loss of that sort of uh, the relaxing atmosphere, the safe space, if you like. We would get queer people sometimes just turning up just to work because it was the only place where they could be themselves. Mm. They might be, they might live in a home environment where they can't be out to their family, or they might work in a, some sort of environment where they can't be out to their colleagues, or they may, you know, they may, before pandemic, obviously people did work from home and they may work from home and then find that they, they don't see another queer person for days on end. And so people would come and hang out and, you know, make cups of tea and it was a bit more of a fun vibe and mm. you know, we do still have music playing but there's not as much hanging around and chatting and I might have a client come in and you know have their service and then sit down and have lunch and you know get out their laptop and sit down and do a bit of work and then head off and that that is all gone for now and I'm not quite sure when it will come back so that's definitely changed um, and there's there is chatting still, but we are still having, we're still sort of encouraging people to wear masks as much as possible. So that does make that sort of conversation flow a little bit harder. That's probably, you know, a, another thing. And, and another thing that sort of changed is that our um, colorist is now not able to take on any new clients. So that also changes the vibes because it's, you know the regulars having their hair color maintained rather than you know new exciting mm. creative stuff being done so that's a little bit of a change as well okay like um as, as you were talking um before you mentioned masks i was thinking about like masks and how i guess maybe they're not seeing like you know smiling faces and that kind of like energy i guess on top of the the change to the environment yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot harder work for our stylists to, they have to project their personality extra over the mm. mask. You know, one of my stylists was saying to me the other day that realised she'd, she'd taken her mask off, but she realised looking in the mirror that without her mask, her facial expressions are so exaggerated. She felt she looked a little bit crazy. She said, I'm <laughs> I'm so used to talking through a mask that I'm I have to exaggerate my expression so you can see it in my eyes. But if you yeah. take the mask off and you see the whole face, then it's way too much. <laughs> it was a very strange thing. And I, I do feel like it's you have to be a lot more on full volume 
to be able to mm. get your warmth and your welcoming and your positivity and that that is that is very exhausting it's really mm. exhausting to see and there's a loss of subtlety there's a loss of there's a lot there's just a loss of gentleness because everything's got to be very full-on but on mm -hmm. the other hand we know that there's a lot a lot more anxiety in our community and so we wouldn't want to trade you know that because obviously there are people who would rather not be wearing a mask but by and large the community seems to be very welcoming of all the covid measures that we're taking still even though most people places aren't so we wouldn't trade that off even though it's more exhausting and harder work and you know longer to do and you know maybe requires a lot more sorry what did you say kind of thing in it within the service which you wouldn't normally get and i can tell you that because i go into the salon and i work in the salon a few days a week myself even though i'm only um, i only do admin but there are times where you're listening to conversation or trying to talk to someone and then the hairdryer goes off or the clippers are buzzing and you're like i find this hard enough anyway but when i've got a mask on as well i'm like please wait just hang on a minute can we just wait till that sound <laughs> stops because i have no idea what you just said so yeah well i, I still find it like um i guess really interesting like really special with the the way that you've all um adapted to the situation i think i, I read online somewhere that apparently queer people have a really high um, uptake of the the covid vaccine as a result of i guess living through other endemics and pandemics i think queer people actually are naturally better at adapting to situations i think just through you know needing to i think it's just something that we realize early on has to happen mm -hmm. um and i do think that is the key to to sort of surviving any huge change like this whether it be a pandemic or something else that ability to ability and willingness to adapt and to change direction on the dime with no warning is mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it's easy. It's not easy. It causes a huge amount of anxiety and stress to suddenly be faced with a massive change. And it takes a lot of courage to say, right, okay, I'm going to suck it up and I'm going to get on with it. Mm -hmm. But the ability and the willingness is really the key to, to getting past these sorts of challenges, definitely. My last question is actually, um, what advice would you give for other queer people to stay resilient? <sighs> that is so hard. Um... Sorry, I, I did change it from, um, yeah. <laughs> I changed it from how, how did Open Barbins manage to stay resilient? Because I feel like you answered it throughout. So yeah, sorry. This is, I... <laughs> no, that's okay. Um it's tricky what i mean i don't feel qualified to give anybody advice um what what has worked what has worked for me and how to stay resilient is basically try you know just always i guess what's really worked for me is that i'm pretty stubborn <laughs> so anything that life throws at me I've managed to stay resilient because I'm stubborn enough to just keep going. Um, and I'm lucky because I have family and I have kids and I have 
those traditional things that lots of people think, you know, I live for. But actually, more recently, I've realized that those are not the things to live for. The things to live for are yourself. And so mm. I suppose my biggest advice would be, it's going to sound so trite, believe in yourself, believe in your own value, believe that you do have something to give and you do have a purpose to be realized and take support when people offer support don't say oh no thanks i'm fine just take whatever support is offered and reach for support look for support don't be alone don't don't try to do it all on your own because I think human beings, not just queer people, but human beings were not meant to do things alone. Mm. So reach out and find your tribe and do things together. And I, I don't know, a lot of what I'm saying sounds so terribly um, cliched, but I think to in order to remain resilient, you need strength and strength doesn't just come from within strength comes from outside you need everyone needs support everyone needs something around them or you know there's just there's no capacity for resilience okay i have to say that you are highly qualified to give people advice <laughs> i just have to say that i really Pardon? I, I appreciate that i i feel like i'm just I, I really appreciate that. But honestly, I just feel like I'm making it up as I go along. And although my kids are like 20, 15 and 10, I still feel like who on earth left me in charge of these human beings? <laughs> so I do not feel qualified. But I appreciate you saying so. Thank you. I'm going to end it there. Thank you so much for being part of, um, I guess, the show. And um, every time we, we have a conversation, I'm just like enamored by just the amount of things that, that you've been able to do and achieve. And, and I'm, just, I'm just really blown away. So thank you so much for being part of this. And um, it's going to be really interesting. I can't wait for people to hear this. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of it. I've really, I've really enjoyed um, thinking about these questions and sort of being given the space to really talk about you know, what I feel so passionate about. You're welcome.